Welcome to Trailhead Church. My name is Steve, and I am the lead pastor here. You guys, let's grab our Bibles. We're going over to Acts chapter 2 this morning. Acts chapter 2, let's grab our Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, grab one off the chair around you. And our Bibles, we're going over to page 910, page 910, Acts chapter 2. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that one with you. We would love for that to be our gift to you uh, so that you can continue to read and engage it. over the course of the week. We've been sitting in Acts chapter 2 for a number of weeks now. It's a, it's a description of the early church in the chaos of, of incredible growth. I mean, seriously, like, like thousands of people becoming believers, like the, the, the church is exploding. Um, the, the people are having to live in each other's homes. It, it is chaotic. It is, it is crazy. And it is vibrantly alive. Right, so we can't replicate their experience. I don't think that that w- most of us would even want to, because that chaos was like insane. We can't replicate their experience, but we can pursue their ex- pursue their experience. Right, we can pursue what they had. We can pursue the reality uh, of their of their community, the vibrancy of their faith, the the fullness of their joy. Right, so let's read about this again, and then we're going to continue digging in this morning. We're looking at Acts chapter two, starting. In verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you guys, uh, we have been looking at um, this 3G model, right? The, the model of discipleship growth, our understanding of how we grow, how we change, right? Because there's invitation to more in the gospel. There's an invitation to more joy than we currently have, more freedom than we're currently experiencing, more dignity than, than we've currently know. There, there's, a, there's an invitation to more power to, to change and to grow and to be what God created us to be. There's an invitation to more. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, how long you've been walking in the faith, there is an invitation to more. This is our model for how to answer that invitation and how to grow in it. And it's very simple, right? God breaks into our lives with a disruptive moment of grace. He comes in and, and, and He loves us in an unexpected way and, and He meets us in our need, right? Because in Christ, God's justice met God's mercy. In justice, Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death we deserve to to die. And in mercy, he takes the application of that. Jesus is my substitute in judgment so that I can be his partner in blessing. In grace, God flows toward me in love because Jesus paid the price of my transgression, right? That, that's this disruptive grace, this incredible love, right? And, and what that does is it provokes my heart because what the, the one thing God asks in, in response to grace is that we respond, right? God initiates, we respond, and that response is called faith. God asks us to have faith in response to what he's done for us in grace, right? That very simply means that we trust him, Right? We trust Him more than we trust ourselves. We, we trust His salvation project more than we trust our self-salvation projects. We, we trust what He's done for us more than we trust our ability to do for ourselves. We, we trust Him. And, and as we trust Him, 
What that does is it introduces us into this new experience of gratitude. Gratitude is the expression of our heart when, when we are humbled by the gift and we take joy in the giver. Right? We look at what God has done for us and we are humbled by the love that is expressed to us and we take joy in the one who loved us so profoundly and that awakens within us this deep, powerful experience of gratitude. And gratitude always pushes out. Gratitude never pulls in. Gratitude is the opposite of greed. Greed is all about pulling in, protecting, and keeping. Gratitude, man, it pushes us out in trust so that we move out. Now that that our, our faith is enlivened by gratitude, it pushes us into these areas of growth. And growth happens in areas of discomfort where we choose to submit right? Where God is basically uh, saying to us, I I want you to obey me in ways that are uncomfortable, right? Areas of of obedience and and areas of generosity, things that that, that we would normally pull back from because because we would trust ourselves. We'd want to provide for ourselves. We'd want to solve things ourselves. We instead stay in the area of discomfort, what we call the growth zone, right? We push out of the comfort zone into the growth zone, and and we stay there because we trust God, we trust God more than we trust ourselves. We, we trust His grace more than we trust our own provision. We, we trust, and, and in that trust, in God's grace, it, it, in our need, it pushes us back into a renewed experience of grace. Because, because to stay in that area of discomfort, man, we need God's equipping grace. We need His love to break in once again and profoundly impact our hearts, which then awakens a new sense of gratitude, which then pushes us out in growth. This is the dynamic cycle. This is, this is how grace works in our lives. This is how we change. This is how we grow. This is what the Christian life is about. This is how we are disciples and helping others live in this is how we disciple others, right? It is growing in grace, growing in our responsiveness to God. In verse 42 of Acts 2, we are looking at what we call force multipliers to this experience of grace. There are things that we can engage that will engage us, things that we can push into that will push grace into us and and cause us to respond more authentically, more profoundly, uh, because we have a tendency to grow cold to grace. We have a tendency to grow cold to the love of God. We we have a tendency to to just hold the knowledge of God and stop responding to the love of God, right? And so these, these things that we push into awaken our hearts to the profound power of grace and, and to the transformative uh, presence of it. And we've talked about a number of these already, right? So we've already talked about uh, in Acts 2.42, it says they were devoted to Right? These were the things that were passionately driving the church. They were, they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine, the Word of God. Right? We talked about being devoted to the Word of God, engaging the Word of God, reading the Word of God, and allowing the Word of God to sit in authority over us. They, they were devoted to uh, the fellowship. The Greek word koinonia literally means sharing. We often translate it as community. It is sharing life. Right? It, is, it, is, it is sharing the joys and sharing the sorrows. It's knowing and being known and loving and being loved. That, that, that the community of the church is way more than just showing up and shaking hands over a cup of coffee. It is actually moving into relationship with other believers in such a way that, that you know them and they know you. Where they are helping you grow and you're helping them grow. Right? They were devoted to the community, devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted last week, we looked, to the breaking of bread, to, to communion, to the corporate gathering of the church for worship, because the early church came together to, to share communion and to sing and to, and to listen to the teaching of the Word of God and to pray for one another, right? So they, they were devoted to the, the corporate expression of worship in the same way we are to, to devote ourselves to the gathering of the church, to devote ourselves to coming together with the people of God, to, to once again sing of the praise of God, to hear of, of the grace of God, to humble our hearts in worship to God. 
This morning, we're going to be looking at the fourth of the five, and, and, and that's the prayers. They devoted themselves to the prayers. Now, I would say of all of these, prayer is probably the least intuitive and in some ways the most challenging, right? We kind of get what community is because we have all had friendships, right? We all know what it is to invite people into our lives. Now, now maybe not with the, the level of, of vulnerability and transparency that, that grace equips us to do, right? But we know what it is to have somebody who really knows us, right? We know what it is to have somebody who, who sees us and, and still loves us and the power of that, right? We, we kind of get the power of worship, Right? Even if you're a non-Christian, if, if you've gone to, to an event where, where you had this transcendent experience of being brought out of yourself, praising something greater than yourself, whether it is an epic sunrise over the Yosemite Valley or, or, or an incredible concert where, where it is just this, this experience of being brought out of yourself, we know what it is to have that transcendent experience of awe, right? Prayer. Prayer's kind of weird, you guys. I mean, let's admit it. You, you, you're talking to someone you can't see about things you can't control in your head where no one can hear it, right? It's kind of weird, right? I, my unbelieving friends um, will joke with me. You know, if I'm sitting there quiet, they'll be like, hey, you talking to your invisible friend again? I'm like, yeah, actually. And then they're really weirded out, like, oh, right? But it's weird to believers too, right? It's not just unbelievers who find this stuff weird. It's, it's hard. Now, here's the thing. I have a few friends who have vibrant prayer lives. I don't know any of them who haven't had to fight to get there, right? I know a lot more people who wish they had vibrant prayer lives, but they don't, right? In fact, most people I know carry a little bit of guilt about their prayer life, kind of like they carry guilt for not calling their mother enough, right? It's a sense that I really should touch bases more often, right? But I'm kind of busy, right? And so, so we kind of go through life, and, and prayer is weird, and prayer is hard, and we know we're supposed to do it, because every time we open the Bible, everybody in the Bible's praying, right? We know that's what God's people are supposed to do. They're supposed to pray. Jesus himself prayed, right? He got up super in the early morning and prayed, and he stayed up late at night, and he, he prayed, and, and that's kind of a, that's a reality check for us. Because if, if Jesus felt compelled to pray, and we don't, there's probably something wrong with our hearts. If Jesus felt compelled to pray and we don't feel the need, that's a reality check. That, that means more than likely there's something that's not straight with us Be- because we don't feel a need Jesus felt. That doesn't mean we're better than Jesus, right? It, it means we're not as aware as he was. And so this morning I want to talk about how prayer helps us engage growth in grace. How prayer is both an expression of it and also a way to grow in it, right? Because a heart that is filled with grace, a heart that is awed at the love of God, a heart that is broken by the fact that that I had a great need that God met, right? I'm going to pray. That's just going to happen. But the reality is, is I can engage prayer even when I'm not there. I can choose to pray in ways that help me grow in grace, that help me engage the transformative power of grace, that free me into gratitude and empower me for growth. So I'm going to move through this, and we're just going to kind of look at these three G's and and talk about how prayer helps us engage. We're going to begin with grace, the the first of the G's, right? This idea, how does prayer help us engage grace? Well, here's the thing. If you want a vibrant prayer life, this is where you have to start. Prayer is not the result of self-control 
and effort. You want to improve your prayer life, it's not an issue of, of getting more structured and more, more controlled, right? That prayer occurs when we need to pray. People who are desperately in need will pray. People who are broken by love will pray, right? Prayer is what happens naturally when we're engaged by grace or need grace. It is not the result of, of self-control. The irony is that when we are most in need of grace, it is often when we are most likely to shy away from prayer. Think about it. When are you most aware of your need for grace? It's usually when you're most aware of your own guilt or shame. It's usually when you've done something or said something that you wish you hadn't done or said. Right? You guys understand guilt and shame, right? Guilt is, is the relational weight I feel when I have wronged somebody, defrauded them, or, or, or otherwise hurt them, right? Guilt is about my relationship with others, other people, or even with God. I, I feel guilt because I should have done something for you I didn't do, or I did something to you I shouldn't have done. I said something I shouldn't have said, or, or man, I should have said something that I failed to say, right? And so we feel guilt. Shame, on the other hand, is, is, is not about what we do. It's about who we are. Shame is the sense that I wasn't what you needed me to be, I'm not what I need me to be. Shame is inherently about my own limitations. Shame is about my own failures and identifying how those failures are part of who I am and not just what I've done, right? When we feel guilt and shame, the natural impulse is to pull back and hide, right? To figuratively put on the fig leaves and go climb into the bushes again, right? The last thing we want to do is go expose ourselves for God and all of our guilt and shame. Love me, right? Because we feel like we don't deserve love. In that moment, we don't feel like God will love us because we are most aware of our need to be loved. And because in our guilt and our shame, we feel like we are covered in, in something that makes us unlovable. We tend to pull away from God until we can clean ourselves up, until we can, until we can you know, perform or, or pretend or, 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 or pay enough penance or, or do whatever it is we think that, that the problem is grace. You can't earn it. When, when you are most in need of it, you are honestly most receptive to the power of it because grace is undeserved love. Grace is unearned favor. Grace is the love of God that flows to us in spite of our failures, not because we're on our best day, but because God loves us on our worst day. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need in time of need, at the point at which we are aware of our need of grace, we should in that moment with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. The only way we're going to be able to do this is if we really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that, that Jesus actually loves us. And, 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 and as we are, who we are, not our best version of ourselves, but but who we actually are, not who we pretend to be, but who we actually are, that God isn't fooled by, by our resume that we slide across the table, our, our, our best efforts, our attempts to make ourselves look good and look different. God, isn't, God loves us as we are. When we get grace, when we understand just how radical and free and powerful this love is, that's when we'll have confidence in the midst of our shame and in the midst of our guilt to actually draw near to the throne of grace to find help in time of need, in the very moment of our failure, 
in the very moment of our sin, in the very, in the very moment of our exposure of our shame, we run into the presence of God instead of running away from the presence of God. We draw near, which is the language of prayer. Right? Prayer isn't having the right words. Pray is, praying isn't even something you necessarily do with your words. Prayer is an attitude of the heart where you draw near to the presence of God. Right? So, so prayer can be out loud. Prayer can be formal and corporate. Like there are certain liturgical prayers where we, we pray uh, things that are on the screen. That's all good, man. Some prayers are totally internal. It's okay. God can, can, can read the firing of the synapses in your brain and understands what, you, what you're thinking and what you're saying, right? God's there. And it can even be in those moments where you don't even have words. God gets all that. The, the only kind of prayer God hates is inauthentic prayer. The kind of prayer where we're pretending and performing instead of being honest in His presence. The kind of prayer he hates is the kind of prayer that keeps us from actually drawing near to him because we're pretending to be something we're not, right? God wants us to draw near in honesty and in confidence, knowing that we're drawing near to a throne of grace. Now, here's the thing, shame. I want to talk about shame a little bit because shame can come from things we've done. You know, sometimes we do things that we want to keep hidden, right? What is, what is the, the joke that... Your best friend, the first thing they know if you happen to die is go erase your internet history, right? There are things that people want to keep hidden, and we know that because they're shameful. There are things we've done. There are things we've said. The reality is there are motivations of your heart that right now, if they were exposed, you'd be, you'd be horrified if people knew why you do what you do or why you say what you said. There are things about us that we know are shameful. But shame doesn't just flow from the things we've done or the things we've said. Shame flows from the actual limitations of being human. You ever been in a situation where people needed you to be more than you could be? Where your friends needed you to be more than you could be? Where your kids needed you to be more than you could be? And you couldn't be what they needed you to be? You understand the shame that comes with the exposure of being human and having limitations where you really desperately want to do what you can't do, to be what you can't be, to solve a problem you can't solve, to meet a a deep heart need you can't meet. In that moment of shame, in the exposure of your limitations, you have an invitation to grace. Grace is most beautiful to us when we're most aware of our need for it. When you are at the limits of, of your human ability, you're at the place where you can start to appreciate and be grateful for God's ability on your behalf, that God will love you in ways that you don't deserve to be loved, and God will act for you in in ways that you can't act, that God will be to others what you can't be, right? Every parent who who has come to the point where they're banging their head against the wall for their child understands this limitation, and their their plea is going to be, God, be for this child what I can't be, do for them what I can't do, right? Grace, it is our awareness of grace that drives us to this place of humility that awakens in us this experience of God doing for us what we can't do, being for us what we can't be, providing for us what we can't provide for ourselves. And it awakens us to the wonder and and, and the incredible beauty of a God who loves us, a God who's for us, in spite of our failures, in spite of our rebellions, in in spite of our shame, and in spite of all the things we want to keep hidden. It's this incredible story of a God who is on a heroic journey to rescue us from ourselves. 
in spite of ourselves. Prayer awakens us again to the wonder. Because prayer is the language of humility. Prayer is the language of need. Prayer is the language of desperation. Prayer is the language of needing grace. So we approach God in our need, and God will meet us in our need in profound ways. And some of you are like, yeah, but Steve, I'm just not there, man. I'm not in that place of desperation. How how can I pray like that when I'm not desperate? Well, first of all, you actually are desperate. You just don't know it. You are desperately in need of the grace of God, even if everything is going great in your life and you don't think you need God, right? (laughs) Scripture says that, that in Him we move and breathe and have our being. What that means is we're dependent on Him in ways we don't even know. We go through life and it's the grace of God that sustains our life and provides for our life and creates the space for our life. He is surrounding us with grace in ways we don't see and we hardly ever acknowledge. Yeah, but Steve, I'm a self-made man, man. I, I, I have worked hard for who I am. And really, I, I haven't met a self-made man yet. You know why? Because you're working with the raw materials God has given you with the abilities God given you to work on them, right? The day that you can speak something into existence is the day you can claim to be a self-made man, right? Only one person can do that, and that's God, right? God speaks, things happen, right? God speaks, matter exists, right? We can't do that. We are dependent on everything God has given us whether it is the raw materials of life or the talents to work with those raw materials, we are simply working in the realm of God's grace. We are desperately dependent. The problem is we grow cold to that dependency. We we forget how dependent we are. One of the greatest dangers to the vibrancy of our faith is prosperity. When things go good in our lives, we stop being aware of our need. And that reveals one of the critical ways that that we need to grow in our prayer life. See, we tend to think of God as the chief problem solver of life. And if there are no problems, we just don't need Him, right? It's like, hey, thanks for today, I've got it, right? Things are going well, don't really need much, just checking in, thanks, see you later, right? This idea that that God is somehow this problem solver that that we call in when things are falling apart, or, or this gift giver who gives us things that we want that we can't provide for ourselves, The problem is God isn't our chief problem solver. God is our Father. And like all fathers, what He desperately wants is for us to respond to His love. God doesn't just want us to come to Him to solve our problems or provide the things we need. He he wants us to actually come into His presence responding to His love and loving Him in return. He wants us to delight in, in the beauty of His character, in the power of his nature in in the radical gifts of himself, right? The greatest gift God gives us is himself. And he wants us to come to see this. So how do we grow in gratitude when everything's going well? How, How do we stay aware of our dependency, right? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this, Joyce always, Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. (laughs) Pray without ceasing. Prayer, we tend to think of it as something we do at special events or at special times, right? A lot of us pray before we eat. 
right? That's kind of a, a typical American thing to do, and that's pretty cool. There's nothing wrong with praying before you eat, and there's honestly nothing wrong with not praying before you eat, right? Some of us pray before we go to bed. That's a great rhythm. In fact, I think you should have rhythms of prayer throughout your day, specific times that remind you, oh yeah, I haven't been praying. I should pray. So every time you eat, that's a great time to remind yourself to pray, not just to say words, but to actually come into the presence of God and and pray, right? Before you go to bed, to, to pray, right? Maybe when you get up or maybe when you take a shower or whatever it is, to, to, to in that, to, to build rhythms of prayer. But here's the thing. Prayer can't just be something we do at these special events. God wants us to develop a mindset of drawing near where we just become more and more aware of the fact that we actually live in His presence, that we're never away from Him. Right? That, that, that he's not a long-distance phone call. He is, in fact, right next to us. He is in us. He is with us. Right? And praying without ceasing is this idea of pursuing the presence of God. Right? You, you can think of it in terms of breath prayers. Right? You take breaths all day long. In fact, you kind of forget you're breathing most of the time. But you're doing it constantly. You can actually develop the habit of praying throughout the day. Right, where we are constantly bringing our thoughts back into the presence of God, right? So, so that we are, when something good happens, pausing or even in the midst of the good thing, saying, man, God, thank you for this. This is awesome, right? When you see something beautiful, you're like, man, Lord, that is beautiful. You actually talk to God about it. When something goes wrong, you're like, man, God, thank you for meeting me in this need. When, when you have a problem at work, right? Here's the thing. Your brain is constantly talking anyway. Have you noticed that? You have a never-ending flow of words inside your head. They're always there. The problem is most of the time we shut the doors and we have this conversation with ourselves, right? So when something bad goes wrong at work, when somebody treats us rudely, we have this entire conversation with them inside our head, right? All I'm doing is talking about inviting God into that conversation, recognizing that God is already there, right? Allowing God to come, oh, Steve, man, those are ugly conversations. I don't want God there. He's already there, right? It's not like he checks out, I'm not, I'll let you have your own space. He's there already. It's just acknowledging and, and admitting that he is and, and learning to have these, this flow of thought and these conversations in the very presence of God. It's very informal. It's very intimate. And it's very real. So that as you're processing your frustration with your coworker, you're processing it. Not by yourself, but in the presence of God, with God. When you're processing how, how beautiful and good something is, you're, you're choosing to, to make choices to process that in the presence of God. We are praying without ceasing. And what ends up happening, you guys, with that is it makes us much more aware of the fact that we are continually receiving from God. Right? One of the reasons we grow cold to God is we forget how much we're receiving from God. We, we tend to think of him as somebody distant and far away instead of somebody who is near and intimate. And that's where we can actually practice the habit of giving thanks to renew our gratitude. This is something I've talked about before and I'll keep talking about. It. It's been a very powerful practice in my own life, right? When I find that I am, I'm like waking up and I'm frustrated and angry, which happens sometimes, or, or if I'm going through my day and I am just like just feeling this tension uh, or I'm starting to feel anxiety about a problem I can't solve, a practice that I have developed is I've learned to give thanks until my heart grows grateful. Do you guys understand the distinction? You can give thanks for things you're not really grateful for, right? When you're like, God, thanks for that meal, and, and you're barely even aware that you even said it, and there's really no gratitude in your heart for it. 
What I'm talking about is actually giving thanks until your heart actually starts to soften in gratitude. Gratitude is the expression of humility and joy, right? So we're going to give thanks until once again my heart is humbled. I have received what I don't deserve. You have given to me abundantly. I, I, I am overwhelmed with your goodness. I, I, take, I have humility at the gift. I look at the gift and I'm overwhelmed and I take joy in the giver. Man, Lord, you love me more than I thought you did. Your love for me is so... When we give thanks to the point of growing in gratitude, it will renew our experience of grace. So even when things are going good, we don't have to allow the prosperity in our lives to drive us to coldness toward God, which is the natural tendency of the human heart. We can choose to give thanks with the purpose of renewing gratitude. So the third G, growth. Um, The third G is, is, um, I think, the one where we are most likely to pray right? Because the growth zone is an uncomfortable place to be, right? Growth happens when we are submitting to God in areas of discomfort, right? Areas we would like to pull back into our comfort zone, areas we would like to pull back into areas where we control and and we're comfortable and we're not at risk or exposed or we're not being pushed into things that that make us, that are difficult for us or, or make us uncomfortable or tired, right? Growth occurs in areas where we submit in areas of, of discomfort, The temptation when we're in the comfort zone is to pull back because a lot of times we'll follow God and and it'll be like, okay, that was long enough. This is a little bit too uncomfortable. I pull back, right? The temptation is to pull back, back into the zone of comfort. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes the things that are causing discomfort in our lives are outside of our control. And God's asking us to submit in ways that are very painful for us, and we can't control the things that are causing us discomfort. In those cases, we're tempted. We would love to pull back, but we can't. So what do we do? We instead start resenting God. We get angry at God because He's not solving the problem we want Him to solve. He's not doing what we want Him to do. He's, he's, not, he's not taking care of this in the, in the way we want Him to take care of it. Here's the thing. We don't have to pull back into this realm of selfishness, self-centeredness self-focus and self-trust. We can push forward in prayer, in faith, back toward grace. You guys, God does incredible things in us when we're in this place of discomfort. He does things in us in that zone that cannot be done in any other way. Take a look at these verses. This is Romans 8, verses 25 and 26. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You ever been at that place where the discomfort was so great you didn't even know what to say? Where that place of discomfort has gone on so long, you, you, you don't even know how to express your exhaustion, your pain, your frustration. Or your sorrow is so great that you have no words to express it. What's so beautiful about this is what this tells us is, is that when we're in that place... When we push by faith back into an experience of grace, it awakens us to the reality that we're not alone in that place. That God's with us in that dark place. And that He's actually ministering to us in a very, very unique way. 
When you, when you hit that wall of, of, man, I just, I don't even have words to express anymore. The Spirit comes alongside you and He speaks for you. He comforts your heart and communicates it to the Father. The Spirit actually plays the role of priest, where He comes alongside you to comfort your woundedness and to represent you, to pray with you and for you. It is incredibly intimate. The Spirit Himself comes in and meets us in that place of sorrow. When we push forward into this experience, there's a comfort that can come to us that can't be explained with words. There is a, a sense of the presence of God that can overwhelm us in that place that, that we're not going to experience outside of it. You know why? Because pain pushes us into our helplessness like nothing else. Suffering pushes us into our dependence like nothing else. But there's something else going on here in, in this verse that I want you to pay attention to. At the very beginning, it says this, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Waiting on God is one of the hardest things God will ask you to do. We hate waiting on God. Hate it. You know why? Because waiting on God requires you to sit in your dependence. Waiting on God requires you to sit in your helplessness. Waiting on God, everything in you is yearning. Will you solve this problem? Will you fix this this broken thing? Will you heal this woundedness? Will you come in and do what I cannot? And when we're in that place and we are pleading with God, we are in that place of growth. It is discomfort and submission. And we're in that place, and, and, and God's answer to us is, wait. That is one of the most difficult things God asks us to do. Because we hate being dependent. We hate being helpless. And there is nothing like waiting on God that reminds us that we are not God. There's nothing like waiting on God that reminds us that we are completely dependent on God, on His power, on His intervention, on His timing. It forces us to hope for what we do not see. Right? The verse says, but we hope for what we do not see. When you're in that place of waiting, you can't see the resolution. You hope for the resolution, but you can't see it. It's not realized yet. It forces you to grow in faith. It forces you to grow in trust because you have to trust the God who can bring the resolution that you can't. You need to trust the God who can solve the problem that you can't. You need to trust the God who can bring the healing that you can't. When we hope for what we do not see, We wait for it with patience. We hate that word, don't we? (laughs) Patience. Somebody told me one time, never pray for patience. Just don't do it because God will grow you in your patience. Here's the thing. God's going to grow you in your patience whether you pray for it or not. You can't avoid it. You know why? Because patience is one of the great gifts that God gives us in His Spirit. This word patience comes from the Greek word hupomone. It's It's a powerful word. 
comes from, from a prefix, hupo and mene. Hupo means under and mene means to remain. To remain under. When I was first learning Greek, um, I, I had to create these little word pictures to help me remember my vocabulary. And with hupo mene, um, it's still vivid in my mind. I pictured, it just sounded like hippo. And so I pictured like this hippo going under the water and staying there. That's endurance. God gives you endurance. God gives you strength to hold your breath without suffocating. God gives you the strength to remain under the weight without being crushed. Everything in us wants to be delivered from the weight. Everything in us wants to be brought up for air. And God says, not yet. Because I'm going to increase your endurance. I'm going to grow your patience. I'm going to give you strength you don't realize you have yet. Because you haven't learned a level of dependency in me that you need to access it. Because all of our strength isn't our strength for God. All of our strength comes from our reliance on God. It's not our performance for God. It's our resting in God's performance for us. And everything in us resists that dependency. Everything resists being in that helpless place. We want to be God. We want to tell our own stories, solve our own problems, define the boundaries of our own glory. We don't want to be dependent. But God in His grace will free us from the insanity of our trying to be God. God, in His grace, will give us the gift of endurance. Because what's happening when we're in that place of endurance is is we're experiencing the death of our faith in ourselves. We're experiencing the death of our confidence and our own strength, our our desire to tell our own story. We're, We're growing in our faith that God is a good God who will care for us and provide for us and do for us what we cannot do. We're growing in our faith that God will tell a better story for our lives than we would tell for ourselves. Hupomene. God will grow your patience in these situations where you're in the growth zone, where you're, where you're in this place of discomfort and, and you're seeking to submit and honor God in it. It will push you back in to an experience of grace in ways nothing else can. The Apostle Paul um, talked about how he had a thorn in his flesh, which is a, a really graphic metaphor. He, he didn't literally, he didn't literally have like a thorn. He, he could have cut that out. Um, it, it was a metaphorical pain, a metaphorical discomfort in his life that he could not remove. You ever had a thorn in your flesh? My wife has roses. Occasionally I will help her. And, and, and if I'm stupid enough to do it without gloves, occasionally get a thorn stuck up underneath your thumbnail. You ever been there? That hurts. That hurts, right? You can see it, and you're like, ah. (laughs) But you can't do anything about it, ah, right? It hurts, and it gets all swollen, and you just kind of have to wait until your body spits it out. Paul had a thorn in his flesh, something in his life that caused him great pain and discomfort. And you know what a thorn in the flesh does? You can't ignore it. You can't, like, forget it's there because as soon as you forget it's there, you bump it on something. You're like, ah, that's still there. Paul had a thorn in his flesh, an area of discomfort where God was growing him, and he didn't want it there. And so Paul prayed three times that God would get rid of it. And we're like, 
Three times. I've prayed like 5,000 times, right? What's that three times? All right, well, remember, this is Paul, right? Paul's the kind of guy that, that if he saw somebody that, that was lame, he could just say, get up and walk, right? So he had an incredible power to his gifting. So he prayed three times in the full power of his gifting, and it didn't work. And at that point, he's like, all right, Lord, what are you really doing here? And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Listen to me, folks. God will bring discomfort into your life. Not because he doesn't have the power to avoid it, but because he loves you enough that he knows you're going to discover things in this pain that you would not discover outside of it. You will discover my strength is sufficient for you. We would never discover the depth of the sufficiency of the grace of God if it were not for the difficulties God allows into our lives because we desperately hate dependence. We hate being helpless. We hate not being God. So God allows discomfort into our lives. God uses what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God will allow discomfort into our lives so that we move into this growth zone where we grow in our experience of grace. If you are in that place, if you have this area of discomfort in your life, if there is something that is outside of your control and and, and you are struggling with it, listen, push forward in prayer. Don't pull back in selfishness. Push into the blessing of being freed in grace. God may remove the thorn He may not. But as you push forward in faith, it will help you rediscover the glory of the power and the beauty of grace. And it will do things in you that nothing else can do. It will change you and free you as you wait on God. You will learn to depend on God, which will increase the boundaries of your joy and increase your capacity for delighting in what is delightful and your freedom and your dignity and your power in Christ. We need to pray. We need to pray in response to our need for grace. We need to pray in response to the prosperity God brings into our lives and and we need to pray in response to the suffering that comes with it. Let me pray for us. We're going to move into a time of response and allow God to speak to our hearts. We're going to share communion together, um, but we'll introduce that in a moment. Let me pray for us, and, and we'll go into our time of response. Father, we thank you that you are a good father. Man, the best father. You're the kind of dad that wants us to know you intimately, that wants us to draw near to you, but you're a good father who will help us to grow into the very things that will give us life. You answer our prayers with yourself. Man, we come and we ask for stuff, and we ask for solutions, and we ask for temporary fixes, and you come as the giver and presence of life. You come as the very essence and source of love. You come as the light of the world into our darkness. And you say, you don't, you tell us, we we don't really even know what to ask for. So you give us what we really need. Lord, I pray for my friends who are in those places of of extreme discomfort, those places that 
man, chronic illness, of, of loved ones suffering, of problems that seem unsolvable. I pray for them this morning. Spirit, that you would make your presence known to them. That in that place of difficulty, they might find communion with you. That they might recognize that you are not far from their suffering and distant from their pain. That Jesus, you know exactly what it is to be in that place of discomfort and to submit anyway. That that you know what it is to hurt. Knowing that God the Father is going to work all of it together for good. Man, I, I just pray, Lord, that you would bring the balm of comfort and the strength of endurance. Lord, I pray that you would shape within us as a community a greater desire and passion for prayer. That we really would be a people of dependence. That we would be a people who celebrate the invitation we have to draw near to the throne of grace. And that we would be in awe of what a great blessing that is. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.